Trigger warning. The following episode contains references to human suffering, death, factual inaccuracies, several entitled people making light of all these things. If any of the aforementioned topics cause you discomfort, you may want to listen to a different episode. Detective. It means what we say it means. I'm Kelly. I thought Private Eye was just a really cool alkaline trio song, but it turns out they suck! I'm Andy. So you say you want to carry a gun, but you don't want to follow a lot of rules. I've got the job for you. I'm Adam. Alright, detectives. I need you to investigate the quickest way to stop a human heart. I'm Sean, and this is Acid Pop. Hello everyone, and welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking about private investigators. Uh, yes, a P.I. Gumshoes, huh? Mm-hmm, that's the ones. Yeah. She walked into my office and I knew she was trouble. <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by our patron, Michael. If you'd like to support this podcast, look us up on Patreon to get access to episodes early and into our private Discord. So, etymology, private is from Latin, once again not letting us down. Any guesses? Privatarum. Close. Privateer. No. That's what I was going to say. Privatus. Ah. And it means set apart or belonging to oneself. Okay. Also, personal. So, you know, wink. <laughs> <laughs> Investigator is real close in Latin, investigator, meaning to trace or search for. So synonyms include Dick, Gumshoe, Hawkshaw, Shamus, and Sleuth. Shamus. Hawkshaw? Yeah, Hawkshaw is cool. I'd much rather be a Hawkshaw than a Gumshoe. <laughs> Can you say them back and forth three times fast? <laughs> hawkshaw, Gumshoe, Hawkshaw, Gumshoe, Hawkshaw, Gumshoe. Nice. So a little bit of history here. Interesting stuff. The first recorded one was Eugene Francois Vidoc in 1833. Of course he's French. <laughs> yep. He was an ex-French soldier and ex-criminal, and he opened up Le Bureau des Renseignements Universel pour le Commerce et l'Industrie. Get me Clouseau. <laughs> the Office of Universal Information for Commerce and Industry. So he had a bit of a bad reputation with the police as he didn't play by the rules, but he <laughs> got good results. He mostly hired ex-convicts to give them a second chance, and he investigated embezzlement and came up with some interesting techniques to solve cases, including ballistics and anthropometrics, or the measurement of people. And hitting people until they confessed. <laughs> well, no, not, not this guy. So basically, he'd be like, he'd find a footprint at a scene that were too small for his client and that sort of thing. And while he tended to get his man, he wouldn't turn in people if they had stolen out of need rather than greed. Hmm. So he was a pretty cool guy. Sounds interesting. Yep. So we're on to our acid pop quiz. True or false? Private investigators need a license. Oh, hmm. It sounds like something that should be true, so I'm going to say false. It's true in the shows I watch. Hmm. TV never lies. Uh, no, I can investigate things. <laughs> I mean, hairdressers need a license. Mm. Sure, you need a license. It No, it varies by state. Mm. That's my answer. <laughs> it's a good answer. 
<laughs> well, it depends on where you are, but this is mostly true. It's true in Australia and Canada, and as Kelly has said, in the U.S. it does vary from state to state, but in the U.K. it's not true. Oh. So there's even a network for all these PIs to keep in touch and share case info. The, it's called Facebook. <laughs> it's the World Association of Detectives, or WAD. <laughs> this is a big WAD. <laughs> so true or false, the Pinkerton Detective Agency is still around. I certainly hope not. Oh, I bet they are. Yep, this is true. They're sort of a subsidiary of a security company these days, but they are still around. Why? <laughs> do they still beat strikers? Uh, not so much anymore, but they do, you know, equally unpleasant. They're, they're still mercenaries. Let's, let's just put it <laughs> Got down. it. The true or false, most detectives are self-employed. So work as private investigators. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with false again. I, I, I can't keep failing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, we just talked about a detective agency. I mean, they're not their own bosses. Well, that would count. That wouldn't count? That would count. Well, what if you're employed by the detective agency? Yeah, that's fine. As long as you don't work for, like, the state or government. Oh. You're not a public detective. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that seems that seems right. So you think most detectives are private detectives? Yeah. I okay. think most detectives work for insurance agencies. <laughs> well, that would be a private detective. Then I'm going to say true. Okay. Well, this is false. Yeah. Only about 21% are. In the U.S. anyway. That's where I could find numbers. So would police be public detectives then? Yes. And we're not going to be talking about those. So we're on to our fill in the blank. At its peak, how many detectives did the Pinkerton Detective Agency have? Uh, I'm going to go with an even 300. Zero, because none of them were solving any crimes. <laughs> <laughs> they were committing crimes. <laughs> it said detective on their business card. Uh, I don't know, 100. Well, in the 1890s, the Pinkertons had 2,000 detectives and another 30,000 in reserve. So this meant that the Pinkertons had more people than the U.S. Army. Okay. What's a reserve detective? They just were people that they would call in sometimes. Like That's the B you know, team. Yeah, basically. You know, like the National Guard of investigating things. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> So fearing their tremendous military power, Ohio banned Pinkertons from entering. Oh, I thought there was going to be an except there. <laughs> nope. <laughs> except they had tremendous military power, so. Yeah, except they're really strong and scary. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why they brought down Ohio. So these days, what do most PIs investigate? Infidelity. It's a solid guess. Uh, skipping school. Mm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Truancy. <laughs> I'm going to still say they mostly work for insurance agencies. I'm going to say insurance fraud. Yep, Kelly gets it. It is mostly insurance fraud. Dang. So not, not terribly exciting. I'm sure your answer was right up there, though, Andy. <laughs> Actually, I think I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't get super concrete numbers, but one detective said like 80% of his cases were insurance fraud. Huh. I wouldn't doubt it, though. Yeah. So we're on to our terms. What is garbology? Whatever comes out of Trump's mouth. <laughs> it's like it's investigating their trash like it's trash science studies mm. can i change my answer to adam's answer <laughs> it's the study of grouches mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah adam got it there apparently one of the ways pis learn about people is to dig through their garbage the pcpi term for this is garbology what is rough shadowing it's shadowing a person but you don't see them all the time hmm 
it yeah it's, it's shadowing somebody but they're so close that they like they push you and trip you sometimes <laughs> it's like that episode of adventure time when finn was jake's shadow yeah. <laughs> that's when uh you shadow someone by like becoming a friend mm. that's <laughs> Uh, maybe close. Yeah, th- this sounds hard, but this is when a PI continues an investigation after their subject has found out that they are being investigated. Hmm. So I guess at that point, they just hang around next to them, hoping they'll say something incriminating. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> what is Sub Rosa? Sub Zero's wife. <laughs> <laughs> a very cold vintage of wine. Ah. ah Sub Rosé. Sub Rosé. <laughs> Sub Rosa? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like ambrosia, but it's, it tastes really bad. <laughs> well, this means secret and is sort of the opposite of rough shadowing. It means surveillance of a subject without their knowledge. So interesting history to this one. There's a Greek myth where Aphrodite gave a rose to her son Eros, the god of love, who gave it to Harpocrates, the god of silence, so that no one would talk about his mom getting her freak on. (laughs) So the rose became a symbol for secrecy. This bled over to the Middle Ages, where when a council was called, if a rose was hung from the roof, it meant that everyone there was committed to not talking about whatever went on. Hence, sub rosa, under the rose. I've I've looked into doing an episode on the language of flowers, but that's more of a mini episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So that concludes our acid pop quiz. The answers are secret. Yeah. Or the score is secret. So here's the thing about PIs. Some are just people that find their way into that career, but most are police officers that decided to make a go of it in the private sector. I can't say this was absolute certainty, but it seems like what tends to happen is a police officer gets fed up with always playing by the rules since the criminals never have to. So they go into a job where they can work outside the rules. Sometimes this is to bend the rules just far enough to stop bad people, but for others, it's about breaking the rules wholesale. That's certainly the case for Christopher Butler, an ex-California cop come P.I., who decided it was just too hard to be both a cop and a drug dealer. Oh my. (laughs) I mean, a lot of cops pull it off. (laughs) Put in a little more effort, buddy. (laughs) So he left the force, but an accomplice named Norman Welsh stayed on. These two made a crack team. They had all kinds of schemes going. Welsh would bring in Butler on a case, take him back into the evidence room, then say, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be back in half an hour or so. While I'm gone, don't take any of the crystal meth in that box there or the marijuana right over there. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, I really got to poop. Don't touch the drugs. (laughs) Every time I come to this room, it's just, ah, <laughs> they were a crack team in that they sold a lot of crack cocaine. <laughs> yep, indeed. And were a team. <laughs> so Butler would find where prostitutes worked and have Welsh storm in. He'd tell them he would let them go free if they gave them all the money and drugs they had. He would then <laughs> pass these to Butler. So Butler also started a massage parlor. I hear quotes in there. (laughs) So Butler took a cut of what the women earned, and then Welsh would extort more money from them to keep the cops away. And Butler did sometimes work as a detective, but way outside the law. He installed dozens, if not hundreds, of illegal wiretaps in cars to record spouses and attorney clients. Hmm. 
One of his premium services that was available to upset housewives was to get one of the many prostitutes that worked for him to go out drinking with the husband of said spouse. Once he was good and drunk, that woman would tell him to drive the two of them back to her place. Once the man was behind the wheel of the car, Butler would call Welsh, who would pull the man over and arrest Uh them for a DUI, getting him out of their wife's hair for a few weeks, if not months. So this whole thing went on for about four years until Butler got caught, and now he's looking at eight whole years in jail. (laughs) Oh, only eight! Yeah. It would have been a lot more, but Butler had a lot of dirt on a lot of cops. And once he was in custody, he cried like a baby and offered up anything to reduce his sentence. What happened to his buddy? Uh, I don't know what actually happened to him, but yeah, he's definitely on trial too. Not a cop anymore. I would like to point out that, man, if there's so much dirt on so many cops, there's something wrong here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I get worried when we say these these are the cops that quit because they found the rules too restrictive, since apparently you can just walk up and kill someone as a cop, (laughs) and they'll just sort of sweep it under the rug. Yeah. Oh, he's resisting arrest with (laughs) on the ground with his hands up in the air. (laughs) So next, we're going to talk about the Baldwin Felt Detective Agency. So William Gibbony Baldwin, don't see many Gibbonies anymore, (laughs) loved detective novels as a kid. And later, he abandoned a career as a dentist to pursue his dream. (laughs) I like to imagine just like halfway through a procedure one day, just like, never mind. Just like, (laughs) no. This cavity can fill itself. I'm going to fill my heart with adventure. I want a gun. (laughs) So Thomas Lafayette Feltz was a lawyer who worked for Baldwin until he became a partner and the name was changed from Baldwin Detective Agency to the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency. They worked almost exclusively for the railroad company in the late 1800s when the West had far more people than laws. So they investigated train wrecks and robberies, but in 1912, a ridiculously stupid thing happened. (laughs) So Floyd Allen was a guy with a short temper and things spiraled out of control quickly. He was recently deputized in 1912 and a couple of his cousins were being arrested for getting in a fight a few months back. The officer arresting them was apparently dragging them to jail behind his coach. Alan went out there and said, hey, man, that's not cool. The officer pulled a gun on Alan and said, shut up. So Alan knocked him off his horse, beat him unconscious, and let his cousins go. Now, this understandably pissed off the officer who brought Alan to court. Now, Alan said he hadn't intended to let his cousins go, just move them into the coach, but they made a break for it. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. The jury didn't buy it and sentenced him to one year in jail. Alan looked at the judge and said, if you pass that sentence, I will kill you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Does this work? Uh, Well, apparently not, because the judge sentenced him, and then Alan nodded to some relatives in the audience who opened fire on almost everyone. (laughs) Holy crap! Those same cousins were in the audience. (laughs) Basically, yeah. So the judge and the sheriff were killed and Alan made a break for it. So this is this is all dumb so far, but this is where it gets super mega dumb. In Virginia, where this all went down, the sheriff had to lead murder investigations, but in this case, the sheriff was the one who was murdered. <laughs> the whole system 
<laughs> so normally a judge would appoint a new sheriff, oh, no. but he's done got murdered too. It's all coming down like a house of cards. <laughs> so the town would legally have to wait for the next election to get a new sheriff and finally go after Alan. In the meantime, Alan was running for the horizon as fast as he could go. In a very stupid bind, the governor hires the Baldwin Felts to track Alan and his accomplices down, which they mostly do. In fact, Baldwin himself brought in Alan. This story got out there, and all of a sudden, the Baldwin Felts were national heroes. Yay! Now, the trouble was, in the early 1900s, the West wasn't so lawless anymore, and there wasn't as much for detectives to do. However, the railroads had a new problem. These troublesome strikes over silly things like not enough food to eat or not breathing in pure coal dust. What do I do about all these minorities? (laughs) So the railroads needed a little help sorting out this delicate situation. I don't know why, but Baldwin and Felt just seemed to hate people going on strike. So they dove into this new project with gusto. Never happened in any of his detective novels. Yes. So they investigated union leaders to find out who they were and how best to blackmail them. They forced people suspected of union sympathies out of their homes. They beat up union members often and killed them occasionally. No bad. I'm telling you, Sherlock Holmes never did this. He's he's living down his heroes, letting <laughs> I mean, down his heroes. You know, Sherlock Holmes just snorted a bunch of cocaine and solved some mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> So as we mentioned in our union episode, they were key players in the Ludlow Massacre in Colorado, meaning that they rode around in a field of tents in an armored car with a machine gun on top to shoot anyone that looked suspicious. Heroes. They were also key players in the strike in West Virginia, where they shot the mayor, set up machine gun nests, and dropped shrapnel bombs on people in case they had been thinking about starting a union. At this point, that Alan dude has the moral high ground if they ever meet again. Bring Alan back! (laughs) Yeah, where's Alan Alda? (laughs) On MASH. But by the 1930s, strikes had become much less violent, so the Baldwin Felt Agency dried up and became a thing of the past. Though not before destroying countless files they had showing what other shenanigans they got up to. Don't worry, the Rockefellers never hired us for this. (laughs) So now we're moving on to the Pinkerton Detective Agency. I hate. (laughs) So this started out in 1850 in Chicago by Alan Pinkerton. He got his start as a barrel maker, and one day while out looking for wood to make barrels out of, he stumbled on a camp of counterfeiters. He ran back and got the police to arrest them and scored himself a job as deputy sheriff. Wow. Ke- Kelly, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. What is a barrel maker called? Uh, Cooper. Thank uh. you. So a few years later, he became the first detective of Chicago. And a few years after that, he quits to form his own detective agency. His motto was, we never sleep. And to push the sentiment, he chose an open eye for his logo, hence the term oh, private eye. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, I want to stress that Alan doesn't seem to have been a bad guy. He had a strong sense of right and wrong and worked closely with the police and government to stop criminals. In 1856, he hired the first female detective in the U.S. In the 1860s, the Pinkertons were hired to look after the president. To put his money where his mouth was, he hired an 
African American to help out. This was right around the time of the Civil War. So they stopped the first assassination attempt on Lincoln and basically laid the groundwork for the U.S. Secret Service. In the 1870s, they started keeping articles and mugshots of criminals and basically started the first criminal database. So that's all great, but in 1884, Allen died, leaving the business to his two sons. Uh oh. I don't know why this pretty good guy raised a couple of little assholes, but apparently that's what happened as the Pinkertons started to not be able to tell the difference between good guy and rich guy. <laughs> well, the cat's in the cradle, and I've left my morals behind. <laughs> uh, see every Roman emperor ever yeah. who left a <laughs> kingdom to their children. So here's the sort of stuff the Pinkertons got involved with. A banker loots the safe and makes a break for Canada with all the dough. That banker then hires the Pinkertons to make <laughs> sure he doesn't get dragged back to the U.S. by law enforcement. He does eventually get caught, but when his buggy was just about to cross the border, a mysterious gang hijacks the buggy and rescues the banker. How mysterious. <laughs> now, there's no records that it was the Pinkerton, but somebody was watching out for this guy. Hmm. Another guy catches his wife having an affair with some rich dude, so he tells the rich dude that he's going to take him to court. Rich dude then hires the Pinkertons to make sure him and the mad husband named Mr. Williams settle out of court. So a couple of Pinkertons show up and one says, no problem. Here's what we do. I wait down this alley with my big pipe here. When angry <laughs> hubby comes by, clonk, right on a noggin. He comes to and thinks, geez, this whole lawsuit thing is bad for my health, and drops the whole thing. <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> well, the other Pinkerton says, um, hitting people on the head with pipe sometimes kills them? And the first Pinkerton replies, so what? No one will see it but the two of us. It's <laughs> uh, the perfect plan. Yeah, but eventually that second Pinkerton does manage to talk the first one out of this plan, and they decide to hire some other thug to just rough him up a bit. Oh, but <laughs> yep, that's the plan. But it turns out that Mr. Williams was no slouch. So when the thug tries to assault him, Mr. Williams beats the snot out of him. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> Strangely, this still works, and Mr. Williams decided to drop the case before things escalated. We're still private detectives at this point. Yep, yeah. Well, they're, yeah. I mean, they're called the army of them. They're, yep. they're, I think they're criminals for hire at yeah. this point. Yep. So the gang you, you hire to get you, a criminal, out of the country and <laughs> safe from police is called another gang of criminals. But they all have fedoras and trench coats. Yeah. Mercenary is such a tidy word. Like, I just, just embrace it. So in 1925, Frederick Walcott of Colorado was running to be a senator. He really wanted to win, so he hired the Pinkertons to investigate how to best become a senator, I guess. <laughs> hey, detect this for me. <laughs> so now did. they're a political action committee. Yep. So what they did was on election day, they would tour the local bars, scoop up some drunks, drive them to a polling location, <laughs> put a pre-filled ballot in their hands and say, you take this in there and drop it off, you get two bucks. And they slap an I voted sticker on them. Yep. <laughs> they did this over and over again. In fact, some drunks caught wise and started running from bar to bar to get uh -huh. scooped up by another group of Pinkertons. Nice. And you'll never guess, but Walcott won. He got 140% of the vote. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very weird. <laughs> so there was a cowboy named Tom Horn in the late 1800s. 
He lived in Arizona, and he was a bit of a psychopath. He killed a man in a duel at age 16. He joined the army, which kept him busy for a couple years, and afterwards set up a nice little cattle ranch. Some rustlers made off with his cattle, so to make ends meet, he started hiring himself out as a cattle rustler fighter. The only thing is, if he found any, he just killed them. Oh. That's that's the most, uh, the highest level of fighting. Yep, yep. So there was a conflict in the 1880s called the Pleasant Valley War in which two big ranches were trying to claim a large swath of land, one for cattle and the other for sheep. One side hired Horn to take out the other side, and he managed to kill quite a few people. Trouble was, the other side also hired Horn, and he scored (laughs) some kills for them as well. But was it pleasant? (laughs) Not by the time Horn was done with everybody. And it was his reputation as a ruthless killer that got him a job at the Pinkerton Detective Agency. With such a large agency behind him, he went a little further off the rails and killed several more people, as well as trying to rob a casino. As you do. Yeah. The Pinkertons pulled a lot of strings to keep Horn out of jail since it would look bad for the Pinkertons if he got arrested. So he fell into a cycle of kill a guy who was at least suspected of cattle rustling, get pardoned, and repeat. Kill a guy, save a guy. Yeah. Well, he never (laughs) saved a guy. Well, they were saving him. Oh, I see. So he finally pushed it too far in 1902 when he killed a 14-year-old and was finally hung for his crimes. Good. (laughs) That was the type of people that the Pinkertons liked to hire. And the Pinkertons did a lot of work as strike breakers, most famously in 1892 during the Homestead Strike. So steel workers had gone on strike until they got paid enough to eat. Things were getting pretty heated when the Pinkertons were called in. We don't really know who fired first, but we do know that shortly after the Pinkertons arrived, Gunfire was exchanged between the steel mill and the strikers. 16 people were killed and 23 were wounded. Oh, and the Pinkertons eventually surrendered and had to walk a gauntlet of strikers getting beaten the whole way. (laughs) Wow. And the crazy thing about the Pinkertons is Alan Pinkerton moved to the U.S. from Scotland, which he moved because he was part of a strike in Scotland. (laughs) And rather than deal with the strike, he decided to move to the U.S. Just never liked strikes. Maybe, maybe like like I said, maybe this is a cats in the cradle thing. He didn't spend enough time with his sons. Yeah, it's too busy chasing criminals. Now, the thing is, it wasn't too hard to find out bad things about the Baldwin Felts, but it was much harder for the Pinkertons. And well, they're still around to protect their reputation. Yeah, and they're very protective of their uh, reputation. I hope you're all ready to be sued. <laughs> In fact, the Pinkertons recently took out a lawsuit against Rockstar Games over what? Red Dead 2. Really? that the game made them look bad by portraying the Pinkertons as evil villains. I'm sorry, maybe you want to sue history next. <laughs> yeah, so, this didn't pan out, though, as it was gently pointed out to the Pinkertons that the portrayals were historically accurate, hopefully causing the Pinkertons to do a little soul-searching. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, you got the achievement for 100% lick me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, real hard to find that dirt. There may not have been any had it not been for Charlie Soringo. He worked for the Pinkertons in the late 1800s, and he was appalled by how they did business. Remember when I mentioned that two Pinkertons that were hired to knock out the husband of the cheating wife. How could I forget? (laughs) The Pinkerton who kept going on about what a terrible idea that was, was Sarango. 
So after he left the Pinkertons, he wrote a book, actually several books, about how horrible the Pinkertons were. But every time he tried to get it published, the Pinkertons would threaten the publishing house with lawsuits. He'd show up in his house with a lead pipe. Basically, yeah. (laughs) So for years, Syringa would make a book, submit it to a publisher, and the Pinkerton lawyers would confiscate the only copy. They would then threaten Syringa with lawsuits and jail time, to which Syringa would reply, so what, and write another book. Try me. (laughs) Still, the Pinkertons blocked publication of anything condemning them by Syringa until he died in 1928. I'm not sure how, but someone got a hold of one of his books and finally published it in 1967. It's in the Library of Congress and has no copyright, so it's hard to make a lawsuit stick to it. Hmm. Also, it means I got to read it for free. (laughs) (laughs) Take that. So now I guess the only thing to do is wait to see if the Pinkertons come after me. And that was the last of the stories that I had. Anybody have any stories about detectives? Just what I've seen on television. Uh, Roger Rabbit. (laughs) Sir Pinkerton, Roger Rabbit. Well, no, there's a detective in Roger Rabbit, son. (laughs) Which the book is the, the book is just far less, far less in the movie. Really? The book is much stranger. Hmm. Like it and it ends sadder. <laughs> and there's a genie. There is a genie. <laughs> yeah, it's been so long since I've seen that that I it blends together with Cool World in my head and I can't oh, remember. No, please don't what? blend that together with Cur- Cool World. <laughs> the trick is never see Cool World like I did. <laughs> uh, well, there's just both movies where human people interact with cartoons, so they just kind of one of these has several genius actors, and one of them has Brad Pitt. Yeah. Well, if nobody has any more personal stories, we'll move on to what are your morals worth. So, what I have is a distraught spouse whose significant other is cheating on them, but they're a crafty one and on the lookout for a gumshoe. How much to try to get enough evidence to take them to get to court? But if you get caught, no money. Can I get me called a hawk spritzer or whatever the option, yeah, other yeah. option was? Okay, a hawk whatever shot. you want on your business card. <laughs> I'm so sneaky. <laughs> My wife tells me all the time. She doesn't know I'm there until I cough or something. But then, then again, she's not very observant. <laughs> she's blind and deaf, so. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't really have anything to really base how good I would be at this. No, I'm thinking about it right now, and I'm just going to be sneaking around corners like a dumbass. Yeah, I'm going to be hiding behind newspapers. In a trench coat with a fedora on. <laughs> oh my god, it's 90 degrees. I can use whatever method I, I want. Sure. So I can like hire someone to seduce him. <laughs> well, let's say you need evidence of the person he's cheating on with. Like, he's got a, a mistress or whatever. Ah, he isn't. He's already been seduced. He's not further seducible. Yeah. <laughs> not double seduced. He's incorruptible past his current corruption. <laughs> this is, this is as far as I go, corruption. I mean, with drones today, I could be really sneaky. <laughs> yeah, aside from the... <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll use a silent drone in their bedroom. <laughs> could I just try hitting him with a lead pipe, Pinkerton style? I <laughs> think that'll work, but then he'll take Case you out for assault. <gasps> well, he didn't see Kelly. I sneak up behind him and give him a bonk. He's my good night stick. I don't know. I'm not good at sneaking. And I don't. Uh... See, my benefit is that I look like like average white guy. Like if you took every white man in the universe and averaged them together, you get me. Okay, so well, like, welcome to me. Yeah, I just I don't stand out in a crowd. So 
feel like I wouldn't raise any bells if I got spotted. My sweating and hyperventilating would probably draw attention to me. <laughs> I also have anxiety, so maybe. <laughs> Just means you're always going to have that edge. The anxiety edge. <laughs> Isn't there the sound of a fastly beating heart coming out of your closet? Shut up, shut up. And now it's listening to meditation apps? What is going on in your closet? <laughs> so we, we have to decide how much we're getting paid for this one job? Yep. I've always wanted to be a detective. A hundred bucks. Nice. Everybody always wants to be a detective. <laughs> I don't I'm, want to be a detective. I'm going way. to dress like a 1950s detective. You're going to stand out a lot. <laughs> That's fine. Especially when you're black and white. <laughs> I'll lay it. I'll no one's going to suspect him because they're going to be like, well, a detective wouldn't be walking around in a fedora and a trench coat. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to suspect the hyperventilating lady either. <laughs> yeah. So here's the deal. All I asked for was 50 bucks. So all I'm losing is 50 bucks. Yeah, I think you asked for a hundred bucks. Fifty. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a hundred. <laughs> well, no, I cut it in half now. <laughs> Teal keeps getting better. Let's just wait. I'll drop some more. I mean, can I crack this case in a day? Yeah, if you're good enough. But you don't know what day he's gonna try it. So, so let's Ooh. say like a week at the most. Is he a scumbag or is he just a nice guy? And his wife is actually the problem. Uh, let's just say it's just they're both moderate. They both just don't want to. They're ambiguous. okay people. Yeah, <laughs> ambiguous. Yeah, and they're both moderates. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so not okay people. <laughs> they vote centrist. <laughs> Sarah Palin just fine. Mm, I would try for mm, five thousand. That's just what I was gonna say. Uh, yeah, I, I won't. I'm not gonna change it. I think that seems pretty good for like a week's worth of work. Don't you want to be a detective though? Yeah, but I want to be a detective who gets paid. Yeah. Well, Jessica Jones told me that doesn't happen. <laughs> you and I can start a detective agency, Adam. Yep. Oh, can I what be a Pinkerton? Five grand. <laughs> well, Andy, I can't trust you to collect payment from our clients, apparently. <laughs> Andy keeps doing these jobs pro bono. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> yeah, let's see. What would I need at the end of this to feel good about it? I don't know... Money and the fact that somebody had done something. Yeah, but money doesn't mean anything. I have to translate it into stuff. So, like, a new car? Nah, I probably don't need a new car. Five hamburgers? Hmm, probably more than five hamburgers. Like 50 bucks in Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) You couldn't get five hamburgers hamburgers for 50 bucks. (laughs) Are you crazy? Sorry, I, I, I meant in, in not in local establishments, in fast food restaurants. Oh, <laughs> what about locally sourced sliders? <laughs> no one in Seattle goes to those. I'll cut their price in half. I'll say twenty five hundred. I'd do it. That seems reasonable. I think Andy's getting this job. One hundred or fifty dollars, <laughs> depending on the Your case. Choice. OBO <laughs> Detective Agency. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's all we have for this week. Thanks to my co-host for joining me today. Thanks to our sneaky editor, Gerard. You've never seen him. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can contact us on our Reddit or email us at acidpoppodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like more of us, you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Acid Pop Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, don't get caught. Bye.